Hello and welcome to the One Hope Podcast, where faith and life connect. A podcast done by One Hope Church in Gig Harbor, Washington. Enjoy! Hello, this is Mia Alexander bringing you the podcast for today. And I will be talking about the book of Job, chapter 9, verses 1 through 12. The author of the book of Job is unknown. It was written approximately 2,800 B.C. And the topic of this chapter is Job's third speech, a response to Bildad. Now, this book demonstrates God's sovereignty and the meaning of true faith. It addresses the question we ask a lot, why do the righteous suffer? When you read the book of Job, you will learn that Job lived in the land of Uz, with his wife, and they had seven sons and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, and 500 female donkeys. He also had many servants and was the richest person in the entire area. He was a man of complete integrity, who loved God and stayed away from evil. Now, outside the realms of which humans lived, Satan and God are having a conversation regarding Job's righteousness. Satan tells God, I bet if you allow me to test him, he will deny you. Notice Satan is asking for permission because he cannot touch God's children. Amen? Even during this conversation, Satan is accountable to God. He can only be in one place at a time. He cannot see into our minds nor tell the future, and God puts limitations on what Satan can do. Now, of course, Job and his friends have no idea in the backdrop of what's happening. But throughout the book of Job, we today know what is going on based on this dialogue over the life of Job. Now, before Job's response to Bildad, let's take a quick look at some of the comments or advice Job is responding to. Bildad makes an appeal to tradition. He tells Job to Look at the previous generations and learn from the experiences of their ancestors. He asked Job, how long are you going to suffer like this? He told Job that his children must have sinned against God, so their punishment, and in this case their deaths, was well-deserved. Can you say harsh? He told Job to pray to God and seek his favor. He asked Job, does God twist justice? or twist what is right? He told Job that God will not reject a person of integrity, implying Job did not have any. He told Job that God would not lend a hand, a helping hand to the wicked, implying Job is wicked. Bildad is upset with Job, as Job uh, claims to be innocent while questioning God's justice. The basis of Bildad's argument the justice of God was correct, but his idea of God's justice was not. Bildad's argument kind of goes like this. God could not be unjust. God would not punish a just man. Therefore, Job must be unjust. Bildad felt there were no exceptions to his theory. Like Eliphaz, who was the, the first of the three of Job's friends to come and visit and give his words of wisdom. But like Eliphaz, Bildad wrongly assumed that people suffer 
only as a result of their sins. Bildad was even less sensitive and compassionate than Eliphaz by saying what he said about Job's children, about them dying because of their wickedness. Bildad wrongly assumed that Job was trusting in something other than God for security and pointed out that such support will eventually collapse. Now let's read the, the, the verses in chapter 9, verses 1 through 12 in Job's response. Yes, I know all this is true in principle, but how can a person be declared innocent in God's sight? If someone wanted to take God to court, would it be possible to answer him even once in a thousand times? For God is so wise and so mighty. Who has ever challenged him successfully? Without warning, he moves the mountains, overturning them in his anger. He shakes the earth from its place and its foundations tremble. If he commands it, the sun won't rise and the stars won't shine. He alone has spread out the heavens and marches on the waves of the sea. He made all the stars, the bear on Orion, the Pleiades, and the constellations in the southern sky. He does great things too marvelous to understand. He performs countless miracles. Yet when he comes near, I cannot see him. When he moves by, I do not see him go. If he snatches someone in death, who can stop him? Who dares to ask, what are you doing? Now in looking at some of the words uh, used in these verses, it sounds like Job is standing trial and he knows he doesn't stand a chance. Job feels like he is innocent and he hasn't done anything to deserve the suffering he is going through. There are the words innocent, court, challenged, answer, overturning, and command. He asks Bildad in verse 2, but how can a person be declared innocent in God's sight? Job already knows that no matter how righteous he's lived, he has no right to declare himself sinless before God. In tying uh, these verses to Tyrene's message this past Sunday on Romans chapter 9, in verse 20, Paul asks the question in Romans chapter 9, Who are you, a mere human being, to argue with God? Would the thing that was created say to the one who created it, why have you made me like this? In verses uh, 4 in the book of Job chapter 9, Job says, for God is so wise and so mighty. Who has ever challenged him successfully? Reading a bit further ahead in verses 32 and 33 of chapter 9, Job says, God is not a mortal like me, so I cannot argue with him or, or take him to trial. If only there were a mediator between us, someone who could bring us together. Job wishes there was someone who could explain what is going on and take care of the dispute because Job is unaware of any de deliberate or willful or known sin in his life. I can't say that about myself. Remember what he lost. His ability to make a living. His family. But for some reason, God saw it fit to to let Job's wife live. He lost his health. Sometimes he wished he were dead. He feels abandoned. He, fe he feels forsaken. He feels misunderstood by those who came to offer support and comfort. He finds himself accused of something that he didn't do. But those closest to him continue to accuse him of not living a righteous life and needs to confess of his wrongdoings. 
In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. And at first, Job finds shelter in God's grace. But now that shelter is being torn down by his accusers. Job feels the need to present his case before God, yet only experiences silence from God. He desires God to declare him innocent so his, his name can be cleared and the, and the charges brought against him by his friends can be dropped. He's worried about what people think now. He expresses God's ability to overturn a mountain in his anger. But God, just as easily, he can overturn Job's claim to righteousness. And Job realizes this. Job knows that God can simply command it and the sun will refuse to rise or the stars will refuse to shine. How much more easily can God snuff him out? Or on the other hand, heal him and prove to his accusers that he, is, he was innocent. Job at this point is not fighting for his life, but is wrestling with something. He had to fight with his emotions when he lost everything. He had to fight with his wife who told him to curse God and die. Like I said earlier, this might be the reason why God kept his wife alive to be used as an example. Now he has to fight with his friends and he's also fighting with himself. It sounds like Job wants to take God to court and essentially what Job is asking for is a fair hearing to defend his integrity. This is the height of his struggle, his struggle with God. Job says in verse 3, if someone wanted to take God to court, would it be possible to answer him even once in a thousand times? Replace the word answer with the word testify. Job realizes he is fighting a losing battle and, and that you can't compare your righteousness to God's righteousness. And that if, if he was to stand before God, he realizes that there was nothing he could say. It's like the icebreaker question we get sometimes. If you could stand before God right now, what would you say to him? Sometimes we come up with stupid things, but I don't think I could say anything. God knows the truth about Job. So Job's dilemma is how can he get God to testify on his behalf? In the earlier chapter, Bildad asked Job, Do you know God is just? And Job opens chapter 9 with the words, Yes, I know all this is true in principle. So Job knows God is aware of the type of man he is and the kind of life he's lived, yet God is silent in Job's plea for answers. After all this, Job says in verse 14 and 15, yeah, I know it's outside of my assigned reading, but I like to look for the hope in these things when it comes to suffering. In 14 and 15, Job says, So who am I that I should try to answer God or even reason with him. Even if I were right, I would have no defense. I would only plead for mercy. To Job, God is perfect, and nobody else is, and God is in a category all by himself, and no one else can be in that category. So, as Job is trying to explain in his response to Bill that, if God is perfect, how can imperfect humanity have a conversation with him, fellowship with him, or be righteous before him? Yet Job knows that he serves a merciful God, and that would be his plea. 
Romans chapter 9 verse 16 says, It does not, therefore, depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. Paul sums it up by quoting an Old Testament scripture by saying, There is none righteous, no, not one. Psalm 130 says, Lord, if you kept a record of our sins, who, O Lord, could ever survive? I know I wouldn't. One of people's basic needs is security, and many will do almost anything to feel secure. Eventually, however, our money, possessions, knowledge, and relationships will fail or be gone. Only God can give lasting security. What have you trusted for your security? Was it a job? Was it a family? Um, Was it a friend? Was it money? How lasting is it? If you have a secure foundation with God, feelings of insecurity will not undermine you. C.S. Lewis said, We must learn to lay before him what is in us, not what ought to be in us. And that is how Job reached out to God in his pleas and in his prayers. So let us pray. Father God, sometimes it is hard to pray what is really in our hearts, either out of fear or guilt of not deserving anything of you, or just not having the right words come to mind. Please give us the discernment, discipline, and courage to give free reign over our complaints or needs and be able to speak out from the bitterness or aches of our soul that we may truly and honestly cry out to you from the depths of our hearts all that ails us. Lord, we cry out to you to free us from being slaves of fear, fear of failing, fear of what others say or think of us, fear of our future. Speak to us, O God, and show us what we have done wrong or what offenses we have brought on ourselves, that we may come before you with a contrite heart and ask for your mercy and forgiveness. Teach us to be quiet after you have listened to our prayers, that we will hear you. So we do not miss your correction or affirmation and guidance. And Father God, we will be persistent in our prayers as you have commanded us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 to 18, to pray without ceasing and to give thanks in all circumstances. Heavenly Father, we will accept your correction. Job chapter 2, verse 10 asks, should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? We will wait on you, Lord, in the midst of all our hurt and pain and suffering, for we know your promise to bless the latter part of our lives with you so much more than this life we're living in now. Thank you for allowing us to ask that we may receive, that we may seek, and we will find, that we will knock, and the door will be opened. Thank you for our mediator, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who presents us faultless and blameless before you, O Lord. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.